0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dr. Nanette Miner, who is a leadership development strategist and founder of The Training Doctor, a South Carolina-based consulting firm that helps its clients to prepare today for the organizational leaders they will need tomorrow. Welcome, Nanette Minor, to the Human Capital Innovations podcast. I'm so excited to have you joining me today.
1: Thanks, John. Uh,
0: to start things off today, I just want to provide a, a quick uh, background bio uh, for Nanette and uh, then give her a chance to introduce herself. And then we have some questions prepared, and I'm excited uh, to have the opportunity to talk with Nanette about her experience in relation to coaching and working with organizational leaders to help them maximize their potential. Dr. Nanette Miner is a leadership development strategist and founder of The Training Doctor, a South Carolina-based consulting firm that helps its clients to prepare today for the organizational leadership they will need tomorrow. Clients appreciate Nanette's guidance through relevant, timely, and often challenging questions that stimulate new ways of thinking and working in order to prepare the organizations for the future of work. Her focus on business goals integrated with sound principles of adult learning results in enhanced organizational effectiveness and astounding return on investment. She is a frequent speaker at trade conferences and corporate conventions and an expert guest on the topic of workforce development for Inc. Radio. Uh, Her most recent book is Future-Proofing Your Organization by Teaching Thinking Skills Uh, As a scholar practitioner, she has authored books on various aspects of business management, marketing, and employee development, and has been published in or quoted by Forbes.com, Huffington Post, Fast Company, the BBC, MBAworld.com, and numerous industry and trade journals. And as a fellow scholar practitioner uh, and consultant, uh, it's a unique pleasure to have the opportunity to talk uh, with you today, Nanette um i'm here john like, i'm
1: excited yeah
0: would you mind uh just doing a little brief introduction of your own
1: oh i think you pretty much covered it there <laughs> oh one other um, thing
0: one other thing sure. i did want to say that um i know you ride a harley which i think do. is super cool <laughs> um i i don't dare because i i just don't have balanced skills
1: oh but well it's awesome. it's uh It it it's actually the balance part is not hard for me. It's hard because I'm only five foot one, so it's hard to find a Harley that fits me. There's basically only one (laughs) (laughs) that fits me. But yes, it's uh, it's Bike Week here, so we actually went out for a nice long ride on uh, Saturday, and that was my first ride um, this year. So I'm kind of in pain. It takes a while. It's like being on a horse. It takes a while to get used to it again.
0: (laughs) Well, what a fun hobby, Uh, and probably especially, um, it's necessary to have hobbies in this day and age of COVID. Quarantining and, and being able to go out on a motorcycle out into uh, the surrounding areas, I imagine, is quite nice.
1: Yeah, it's great. Yes.
0: Awesome. Well, welcome again to the podcast. Uh, I'm just going to launch into our first question for today, and I look forward to having a discussion. You've been working in the field of professional development and leadership development for nearly 30 years. Overall, what would you say has been working and not working within that area?
1: Well, more recently working you know not I mean, as you said, almost thirty years, so I started I like to say to people, I started when if you wanted a colored overhead, you colored it in with markers the night before mm-hmm. your presentation. <laughs> so technology has has advanced so much that that, in my opinion is what's really working now is that if you aspire to be a leader, you can take charge of your own development, your own career um, and and take advantage of all the things that are out there, and so many of them are free, like well, LinkedIn learning isn't free, but it's certainly well worth the money because yeah. of the catalog that they have available. Um, YouTube has all sorts of instructional videos from you know TEDx to just just Google or, or go to YouTube and ask what is project management. And you'll you know you could be there for five days just reading all or listening to all the, the experts on project management. Um, so I think what's really working is the ability to curate your own content and manage and, and take control of your own career. Um, what's not working is the traditional way of that leadership development has been done for well not that long really because um, most people were organically developed you know in the 50s 60s 70s so maybe in the last 30 or 40 years we've actually made that a function where we say okay now we're going to develop leaders but the problem that in my opinion, the problem that occurs in that process is that generally companies wait until they promote somebody to a leader, and then they start to apply leadership development. Mm -hmm. And I just feel that that's so unfair and stressful on the new leader, because Mm -hmm. now they have functional responsibilities, and somebody's asking them to change their behavior. So it's overwhelming. Um, It's not easy to change behavior. As a fellow trainer and scholar in, in human resources and OD, you know that, you know, behavior change is the hardest thing to get someone to do. So why would you expect after 20, 30 years on the job, you're going to ask them to change their behavior and they're going to be able to do it. So, you know, what's not working is the traditional way of doing it. So I'm kind of excited about this COVID virus because I think it's going to reset a lot of things in business and this will be one of those things.
0: That's so interesting. And it's been my experience as well. And, And one of the challenges is that you have, well, I, I'll often talk with, with leaders about the difference between training and development, right? right. And, and on the one hand, you you want to be proactive about developing future leaders by, giving, by providing opportunities for development and, you know, both structured, formal and informal types of opportunities. Right. Um, but you also don't want to just be trying to shove everyone through some sort of generic leadership development program because that's not effective at all right um, and and so what I've seen is often kind of either extreme I've seen nothing until
1: nothing they do <laughs> right. nothing
0: until the person takes on the new role and then they're completely unprepared for it right or they the the leader really believes in preparing future leaders and so they just make every employee go through these different types of they call them development leadership development programs but they're really, I, I, they're not, they're not, uh, there's no concrete objective of them, um, for employees going through them at the time, just the, the possibility at some future date, you might need to be tapped for a leadership role. Uh, and a lot of employees simply don't want leadership roles. True. Uh, and, and so it's just a, a complete waste of time and money on the part of part of the organization. Um, so I guess it's no surprise that we probably should steer away from either extreme, right?
1: (laughs) Well, honestly, I really believe, I, I have a whole philosophy called leadership from day one, and I really do believe we should develop everybody when they come in the door, regardless of whether they will become a leader in the end or not, because as you said, a lot of people won't want that opportunity, but I, I can't see there being a downside to teaching everybody to be a better communicator or a better team player or a better collaborator. It's just going to, you know, it's the rising tide lifts all boats philosophy. It's just going to make it a better organization because otherwise it, you know, again, it's up to people's individual motivation and some will be better and some will just coast. And, you know, I'd rather not people coasting.
0: Right. Right. And I think you, you just hit on something that I think is really key that there's lots of leadership competencies and capabilities uh, that we can start to develop in all of our employees because they're universally important. Um, right. work, working effectively in teams, um, effective listening and communication skills, like that's going to help everybody, regardless, everybody right. regardless of whether they end up being a leader or not. Uh, and, and, of course, organizations have formal leaders and they have informal leaders, and so it everyone right. has the opportunity to influence and I guess the the sticking point is do you do you have employees go through those types of programs with the expectation that you 're going to try to force feed people who have no interest or desire whatsoever and to be a future leader to take on formal roles right
1: oh. Yes, I agree with you on that. Yeah, right.
0: yeah, and and that's and I see that happen often, actually. And um, but I, on the other extreme, you see you see them doing nothing, <laughs> and then yeah, people, that's the
1: extreme people, I always see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: and then and then people are just completely unprepared. Um,
1: there should and, be like an exit strategy for the people that get forced into it you know that may like well let me try it you should say to them okay but you know like we took a chance on you and said in 90 days we'll decide if you stay with us you can say to us in 90 days this is not for me i've had a couple of in my past when i was an employee i've had a couple of managers who actually did that too who got Mm -hmm. promoted and then within three or four months said just i like doing the works forget it i don't want to be the manager
0: yeah awesome uh, i it, it's so interesting to to think about that 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 dynamic and how it's different you know across different types of organizations yeah
1: um
0: but i think for sure what's important is that the organizations of tomorrow that are going to effectively innovate and stay competitive they're going to need to have cross functional teams that are yes. working effectively they're going to need people with these competencies and capabilities Um, And you're going to see, we already have seen a flattening of organizational structures, um, but that's only going to continue in more lattice organizations and uh, integrated organizations. And so there's just so much opportunity to prepare people for that because frankly, that's not what most people know or what they've, what they've seen in the past.
1: Right. That's not what we've been doing for the last 20 years. I mean, one of my biggest soapboxes is we train everybody in a silo. So if you enter an organization, say in finance, and you're lucky enough that we give you professional development, it'll probably only be in finance. And so we're not making business leaders. That's my big bugaboo is we're not making business leaders. There's a whole generation of folks who really don't know how business works because we've trained them to be specialists for the last 20 years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so often I'll, I'll have this discussion with leaders. Now, obviously, we need experts. You need experts that can go a mile deep, especially when you're dealing with technical fields. Um, you you can't do it without having experts, but you need generalists and you need people that, right. are, that are integrators and systems thinkers and exactly. can pull everything together. And if everything exactly. is, if, if it's only siloed into all these different areas of experts, then nobody can communicate with each other effectively. and And then you just have so many missed opportunities And so much of the innovation that happens within organizations is through the cross-pollinization of ideas, right? And not not just from experts um, within their own specific area.
1: I think too that it contributes to a lot of that infighting we hear in organizations you know sales doesn't like marketing and marketing doesn't like operations and research mm-hmm. you know I think a lot of that's just because we don't know what those other departments do it's just that's a natural human reaction to go oh I don't like them but basically it's just cuz I don't understand them so I'll keep them at a at an arm's length so I you know part of my philosophy is in addition to just giving people those basic skills that can not hurt if <laughs> if they develop them but also mm-hmm. get some kind of rotational methodology going so people understand what the departments around them do. I mean, so many people don't understand, you know, where their work comes from and then where does it go after they're done with it and what the interdependencies are and what the bottlenecks are. I mean, just that alone would make companies processes so much better if they just understood that.
0: I absolutely agree. Uh, (laughs) That's so, (laughs) that's so important. And, uh, and that's one of the most common problems I see in organizations that I work with. Yeah. Um, so you you posed the question when we were thinking about questions in advance, um, about economic stress. Um, companies tend to eliminate training in times of economic stress. And that's sure certainly do. that's certainly been the case um throughout my career. I've seen it happen repeatedly. So, you know, you had the recessions in the early nineties, /11 in the early two thousands, you had the financial meltdown and the great recession in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Uh, and now we're dealing with COVID issues, uh, and how that's transformi- transforming, the workplace and moving to more virtual work and, and just the economic, um, uh, conditions okay, w- related to that. Yeah. Um, so clearly it's important for people as the workplace is shifting and moving more virtual, it's important for people to, to upskill and to be ready for this transition, um, But that's happening simultaneously while while companies are dealing with budget cuts, um, just trying to keep the doors open, trying to keep people employed. And uh, so what can companies do? What can individuals do within this context where they need to continue to develop, but resources may be constrained?
1: No resources, right. Well, I think in terms of individuals, um, they can do what I suggested earlier, you know take the reins, especially now and I, I mean I, this is a very generalized statement, so I apologize if I offend anybody, but especially now we have more free time right <laughs> in theory because we 're not commuting to our jobs, so if you could just spend twenty or thirty minutes a day going you know this week i 'm going to concentrate on you know giving feedback or what is the difference between constructive and critical feedback and i 'm just going to absorb that for twenty or thirty minutes every day, just just take control of that yourself it 'll make your work life easier. And I, I do believe it'll make you stand out as leadership potential because people will see these extra skills. Um, in terms of what can organizations do, people may not like this either, but I really think we have to hire a new role. I mean, it does exist in organizations in one capacity, but I really think we need like coaches throughout the organization. Again, not for just the people we already deemed in the in the leadership um, hypo group, but just like have those coaches attending meetings, because meetings are all online now. And I've honestly, in my past anyway, never seen an online meeting that accomplished as much as an in-person meeting. So if you have the normal departmental manager or whomever runs that meetings running them online, I haven't, I haven't, this is just a theory. I haven't proven this in any way, but I just feel like there's going to be a breakdown where people are not as effective in those meetings. Um, and as you probably know, I mean everybody's using Zoom now, so there's the opportunity to either talk all over one another or let's have everybody muted so that we're not. And so the the give and take is not. It's great that we have the visuals. That helps a lot because um, that wasn't a, an option just a few years ago. But but I do think there's opportunity to just shut people down as well in the in the in the under the definition of being efficient. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, feel like, I feel like we need coaches attending all these kinds of meetings who can kind of offer feedback or moderate the process for us so it's not the manager's job to also run the meeting and you know, get the, the content out there. I think um, coaches at, at every level where you could just call somebody up afterwards and go, hey, let's talk for 10 minutes about you know, how I saw you interacting in this meeting. I want to give you a few pointers. I just, I just think coaches have to be much more pervasive throughout the organization. I, I wrote an article probably eight or 10 years ago now where I um, suggested that we needed a two-manager model. Mm. And I really – I mean, if companies could afford that, to me, that would be ideal because I really think there's – most managers get promoted. Most leaders get promoted because they were technically good at what they do, right? right. You, we, we kind of alluded to that earlier. So now you've got a technical – technical technically great person but not necessarily technically good manager but and Mm -hmm. and to my earlier point why would you ask them to change their behavior so why don't we just make that a dual role where you have somebody who's in charge of managing the function and the projects and the deliverables and then you have another equal peer who's in charge of keeping the department humming, (laughs) you know, ironing out discrepancies and helping with communication and making people, you know, look to the future and where do you want to go next and how can we develop you? Because that's a lot to ask of one manager. I mean, I do feel in the last, since probably the 80s, especially when we took away secretaries, which is not a word half people even know what the definition of that is anymore. (laughs) But I feel like we've just put more and more and more on managers and individuals to produce and it's just not physically possible to cover all the bases. And I do think then when push comes to shove, if you're the manager, you're going to default to covering the functional bases because that's what right. you get paid to do.
0: So the, the people management, the development, the strategic stuff that often gets pushed to the side. just because they're struggling to just get all the, those functional pieces done day in and day out, you know, they have all these deadlines. And so they're, they're uh, trying to meet the urgent requirements and they just don't have time for the other stuff. Um, I I love the idea about having coaches embedded. And I was, as you were describing that, you know, I was just thinking about my own personal practice. Um, I, I found that I, I'd never thought about it before until you described it that way, but, Whenever I get off of um, an important call, um, I always have people that I will immediately do a post-call debrief with, and I'll call them up and I'll say, "Hey, how did that go? What went well? What didn't? What um, you know? Did I come across the way I was intending? You know?" And we we just have that conversation, and it's super
1: after the call. (laughs) Call after the call is so (laughs) important,
0: and I'm not sure how many people do that, but it's something I just. Naturally done over time, and it, it helps me so much. Um, and and you're think,
1: proactive.
0: Yeah, and and, yeah. and you know, perhaps I'm in a in a luxurious position. You know, we're we're in a different kind of situation because we're we're scholar practitioners, and you know, I'm a faculty uh, member at the university on one hand with lots of autonomy and flexibility, and then I do consulting stuff on the other hand, and I have lots of like complete autonomy and flexibility. So, I mean, I, I acknowledge that. That I enjoy much more uh, flexibility than the average person, um, and that's really to your point: is the the average manager doesn't have that. Like they're just so um, constantly going from one thing to the next; they don't have time for debrief. Uh, and I you,
1: I remember being in a I well, wasn't in a meeting; it was virtual. It was actually only on the phone um with a, a head of HR or something. I mean, it was a very high level. Uh, um, person in the organization that I was working with and she could only talk to me as she was walking between meetings that was the only time in the day I could get a hold of her and I was like this is not effective (laughs) like how will she even remember what we talked about she just left one meeting with her head full of stuff she's going into another meeting where she's already going to forget that meeting and my phone call yeah you just I just think we need another role
0: yeah or we could bring back
1: secretaries because that would help a lot too
0: (laughs) (laughs) interesting yeah yeah and the other piece that you alluded to a few minutes ago is just in this world of virtual meetings zoom uh, teams whatever people are using um, is just the 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 idea of zoom fatigue right yes like on the one hand it's nice we have this technology and it's nice that we can still interact and you already pointed out some of the problems though with virtual meetings you know in terms of people not being able to necessarily you don't have the same dynamic. So you don't have the same give and take, but it's, it's our, there's already research showing the effect of zoom fatigue. And it just, it's, it's kind of interesting to me because it actually takes more out of you to go sit in front of your computer for a zoom meeting than it would take for you to be in an in-person meeting um, for, for a variety of reasons. And now we're finding ourselves in meeting after meeting, after meeting, um, where you might spend six hours straight going from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting, and that's just mentally exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the role, the 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 impact that that has on individuals, leaders, and line workers is tremendous. I think so. It'll be interesting to see how that develops over time.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's going to be a fast backlash on that. I just saw somebody speaking the other day, and and they said, um, you know, why why is every meeting Zoom now? Like before, it used to be a phone call, and now it's a Zoom meeting for no reason. We could still accomplish it in the phone call.
0: Yeah, like, can I just get off
1: the camera, please?
0: Yeah, or or um, email. Still works. Right. There's a lot, right. lot, a lot, of things that you can just accomplish through a quick email. And now I find that people are like, let's, let's, even if it's for five minutes, let's jump on a zoom meeting, yeah. you know, instead of just shooting an email I'm like, eh. or like you said, a phone call, um, either way, you know, sometimes that's just better. So
1: my, um, my director of operations and I are, are about 600 miles apart. And uh, so we're on Skype all day long, but we will ask permissions. Like, may I call you? <laughs> is it okay if I interrupt you for 10 or 15 minutes? Because we're head down, we're doing work. And you're right. Those, those meetings can be so you know disruptive. Or sometimes we, we have this code where we go ding. It's like, you know, I'm I'm ringing the doorbell, like, ding, can I interrupt you? And if the other person doesn't answer, we don't, we don't interrupt them. So we know we, we, I guess that's a, you know, working rapport where we trust the other person is yeah. not purposely ignoring us there's a good reason they're ignoring us right yeah that's great but we my point is we reserve the important stuff for like i just i have to talk this thing through with you and i only need five minutes is that okay but we still ask permission first. we don't just assume you're going to be be willing to get on camera with me or whatever
0: yep yep um one more quick question and we'll wrap things up for today um This is, you know, perhaps the most important question of all, if, if you had to just pick one skill that every leader in business should master, well, really every leader, regardless of whether it's business or, or whatever organizational context, um, one skill that every leader should master, what would it be and why?
1: Well, I think we've already alluded to that too, or or covered it, um, It is, I mean, my, my mindset is business. And and so that would be, be a generalist, which I guess is not one skill, because that's a myriad of skills. But you just, when I think leader, I think above a managerial level. I think somebody who's steering the ship, not somebody who's executing. So, you know, a leader is more like the captain of the ship. They're not the person who's actually in the wheelhouse or rowing it or, you know, the navigator. They're overseeing all those people. So when I say leader, that's kind of the, the um, image that I have. Mm-hmm. And and so what we were talking about earlier where we you know put people in silos for so long and we have these, these, you know, we don't understand where the work comes from or where it goes to or what our – our deliverables really do in the end. Um, I don't. I, there's no way you're going to run a meeting. I mean, excuse me. There's no way you're going to run a business if you don't understand that. So um, I think if 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 you truly aspire to be not necessarily the CEO, but somebody, you know, above a managerial level, you really have to immerse yourself in business, which again, you can do easily. Like one of the things I love to do is listen to business podcasts, which, I mean, I'm just a, a geek. <laughs> my daughter the other day said, do you have any magazines? I'm trying to make a, uh, a collage. And I'm like, would you like Inc. or Harvard business review? <laughs> Cause that's <laughs> like the only magazines I have. <laughs> but you know, I'm, when I'm walking my dog, I'm listening to business podcasts and they just, to me. They're energizing. I, I'm the notes app in my phone is so full of notes, it's unbelievable. Because as I'm walking, I'll pause the podcast and then I'll record myself and know, like, that's a good idea. I could write an article on that. I should, you know, look that term up. I don't know what that means. Like, I'm just constantly immersing myself in business. And I and I think if you really want to be a leader, you you've got to do that as well. It doesn't you know, what's great now is you don't have to go get degrees and all this stuff because they're out there. Like one of the resources that I love, I didn't mention earlier is edX, which is the the MOOC level of of going to college, which you can do completely free, or you can choose to pay a really nominal fee and get a certification at the end as well. So like a few years ago, I was thinking about getting my PMP, my project management professional designation. And the more I looked into it, the more I thought, That's really not going to further my career. It's nice to have the credential, but it doesn't really align with what I do. So I went and got a certificate in project management from the University of Rochester. So at least I understand more about the topic, but I didn't have to go through all the hoop jumping that the PMP requires. So, I mean, there's so much that a person could do independently to become more knowledgeable about business in general, even even if you don't leave your own organization. I would yeah. say another thing that people can do which I've I'm a big proponent of and I don't know how that's this is going to work post covid but get uh, involved in volunteer organizations too because mm. I really think it's important yeah. to to be a to understand your community, to make relationships outside of your own business. And you know, especially for younger people who are aspiring someday to be a manager, I always say, you know, you're going to be the vice president of marketing at the local nonprofit way earlier than you're going to be the vice president of marketing at your company. <laughs> so, you know, get out there and get that responsibility. You'll learn so much about project management, and communication, and meeting deadlines, and, you know, working with other organizations. I mean, you'll just get so much business experience by volunteering. It's unbelievable.
0: That's a wonderful tip. And our communities need that. Uh, yes. There are so many, you know, where I'm at, we're one of the, uh, the highest nonprofit per capita locations in the country. Uh, and, and there's just a lot of big hearted people that want to do good. And they don't always have the skills to go along with their intentions. And so there's plenty of opportunities for people to get involved in, in very meaningful roles in the nonprofit right. sector. Um, and I imagine that's the case in in many other locations, Uh, so that's a great way to develop your skills, and one of the things, as you were describing that that most important skill set, the generalist um, Mm -hmm. skill, you know, that that, uh, someone would need to have, in my mind, the way I think about it is in terms of uh, integration, synthesis, and systems thinking, so Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, to be a systems thinker, I have to know how everything interacts. Exactly. Right, and it's I can still be an expert in certain pieces of it, but I don't need to be an expert in everything. But I need to understand enough to know the interrelationships, the feedback loops, and understanding how everything interacts. That requires
1: enough to know to ask the right questions.
0: Exactly. Because that's another
1: leadership skill. I don't have to have the answers. I just have to ask the right questions.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And I and I think the organizations of tomorrow, as we try to to forecast the, the needs for the future of work. I think it has to come back to integrative, synth- synthesizing systems thinking types of mentalities, not just for CEOs. I mean, that's always been the case for C-suite executives, but they have to be able to think at that level to be effective. But I think that skill set's being pushed down, the, the necessity is being pushed down to lower levels. Um, and you know, flattening hierarchies is causing that in part as well and right. we just we just need people that can can get outside of their own expertise. Yes. Um and it 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 behooves every organization to to invest in that. Um mm-hmm. you know now, now in the covid context, you know, where we have like tremendous unemployment and you know all of this, it's it's a little different. But prior to to coronavirus we had about the lowest unemployment rate that we'd seen, uh, and and that's certainly the case here in Utah. I mean, we we have we had unemployment rates that were too low that that meant employers couldn't find they couldn't get a good pool of candidates for a, a position, particularly for technical positions, highly skilled and and uh, advanced types of positions. And so, my point is, we're in like a hyper competitive labor market pre COVID. And eventually, mm-hmm. we'll get back to that point, it may take a little while. But when we're in that situation, we don't have the luxury of just like inserting new experts every time we need to do something, right? We have to upskill, right. we have to retrain, we have to think long term in terms of our human capital um, in a way that we can leverage what what our people can do and how we can build that capacity and if we don't if we don't take that approach, um, you know organizations are going to be hurting. Uh, when we get back to a hyper competitive labor market situation.
1: I hope that they learned their lesson from this because there were things that they could have done that they just shunned for whatever reason. And I get there's pressure of saying I, I constantly have to recruit and retain because that's that's the market that we're in. But if you developed people from the minute they walked in the door, you'd have a succession plan. You, like I, I just yeah. know so many organizations where a, a a position was just left vacant for, yeah. you know, almost a year. Because they they were they were blindsided when the person decided to leave, and then they had no plan B, <laughs> and then they had to go looking for the right person. But like you said, if, when the when the market is tight, you're not really looking for the right person. You're bribing them to come from somewhere else. There's no, really no leverage left. So again, that's why I really believe companies have to, to to develop people from within, whether they want to be a manager or not. At least you've got people with capabilities that you know could could. Pinch in, pitch in, in a, in a pinch, (laughs) pitch in, in a pinch. There we go.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, Nanette, uh, thank you again for joining us. I think we're out of time for today, uh, but it's been a pleasure talking with you. And I hope to have you back in the future. um, That'd be great. To, to chat about related issues. And, and I I think there's so much depth here in what we've been discussing that a half hour just simply doesn't (laughs) allow for for you know a full uh, uh examination of but but uh i hope to have you back and um thanks again for joining us and i, I encourage all of the hci podcast listenership to go visit go look up uh, nanette and the training doctor and uh, learn a little bit more about what her organization is doing and if it might be a good fit for for what you need help with uh thank you so thank you and have a great week thanks john bye-bye